This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? Welcome to a brand new episode of Inspiring Design, and I'm your host, Rashan Senanayaka. Today's episode is actually sponsored by Adobe Australia. I have lined up a very special guest from Adobe, being one of the best tech companies in the world. I have here with me Dr. Tim Kitchen from Adobe Australia. Tim is a senior education specialist at Adobe and is constantly liaising with schools and universities focusing on enhancing creativity in education. He is a passionate advocate of creativity in education and well-recognized thought leader in Australia. Not to mention the fact that he's a national and international education speaker while managing the Adobe Education Leadership Program and help lead the Adobe Exchange Program which we will talk a little bit more about it later on. So today is going to be all about education, creativity, and of course, Adobe and technology. So let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you very much, Rishan, and thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast. My pleasure. And uh, can we start off with a little bit of background on yourself? What's your journey like? Sure. So I began life, my professional been involved in education for getting close to 30 years now. Wow. The 23 years as a, as a primary and secondary teacher and also taught in higher ed for a little while. Mm-hmm. And now it's been six and a half years working for Adobe as their education specialist. Nice. That's pretty cool. And what made you transition into Adobe? Well, I wasn't really looking for the change. The... Um, the fact is that Adobe was looking for someone to do this role and that the role involved going into primary schools, secondary schools and higher education institutions mm-hmm. to drive active use, to um, encourage teachers to be creative and encourage students to be creative, obviously with a focus on digital creativity mm-hmm. and using the Adobe tools. So they were looking for someone who had primary, secondary and higher ed teaching experience. And it, there's not many of us who have actually covered all three sectors. Yeah. Uh, they apparently found, I found this out later on, they apparently they, they interviewed or found 56 people mm-hmm. and they had a list of criteria that they wanted from them. And I ticked every box except for one, which was having an Asian language. <laughs> so I, that was apparently the only box I didn't tick. So, yep. yeah, I was, I was very fortunate to uh, get the role and and uh, I've enjoyed every day of it ever since. Definitely, definitely. Now, that's it's a very unique opportunity, and obviously that's why I wanted to um, get you on onto the show so that um, a lot of the listeners can benefit from your thought leadership as well. And so what did you actually teach in, in a secondary level? In secondary school, I taught IT, I taught multimedia, mm-hmm. I taught media, um, I taught a little bit of physical education. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started teaching, I actually taught music in primary and secondary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've had quite a, a variety of different curriculum areas that I've covered. Yeah, wow. So you're a whiz, or a master of a lot of things, I feel like. 
master of a lot of things now i'd say i'm a jack of all trades master of nothing <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's it um that's excellent and thank you so much for sharing that journey obviously i can i've met with you before and it's um it, it was apparent to me straight away what uh, what how your capabilities are set up and um your amazing role at adobe now one of the biggest questions that i get and and some confusion when we do teacher training and even with my students is they know the products photoshop illustrator indesign as the main ones but they sometimes get confused as to who adobe is so if you in your uh, expert opinion and uh, words what who is adobe well um let's go back into the foundation of adobe it actually started in 1982 mm-hmm there was these uh, two gentlemen who came out of a company called Xerox, which a lot of people <laughs> would know of. They yep. make photocopies. And they invented a, um, a language called PostScript, which mm-hmm. a n- number of educators would be familiar with because it's still pretty much the essence behind uh, the PDF. Yep. And they took it to Xerox and they said, look, this is going to revolutionize the way people do documents mm-hmm. in the future. And, I'm not sure, but I imagine Xerox would have been a little bit threatened by that because people might not photocopy as much in the future. So yeah. uh, they weren't encouraged to develop that within Xerox, so they decided to leave the Xerox and form their own company, and they uh, created their own little startup. They named it after a, a little creek mm-hmm. that uh, was called the Adobe Creek, mm-hmm. which is in California. And then they got some startup funds from a young entrepreneur at the time named Steve Jobs. Wow. (laughs) Steve Jobs, he was pretty keen to get access to PostScript. He saw it as a great way of of linking his Macintosh computer to a laser printer, which was only just starting to to, uh, become used in a domestic sense. And so thanks to Chuck and John from Xerox, Mm -hmm. Adobe, Mm -hmm. and PostScript, uh, the first desktop publishing tool was created through Eldis, and that was Eldis PageMaker. Mm-hmm. And the Macintosh just suddenly became a way of printing documents, quality documents, uh, without having to go to a printer. And I remember this all happening because I was in high school at the time, mm-hmm. and I remember my father talking about having a laser printer at his work. He was a surgeon, and at his hospital, they had the first laser printer. He was so excited. And he bought himself a Macintosh computer, and so I got to use one of the first Macs, uh, the old Mac Classic, I think it was called, back in the mid-1980s. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was how Adobe got started. It's pretty much how Apple got started, if you think about it. Wow. Sadly, Eldest didn't quite go that far, and, and we kind of took over the desktop publishing world. But that's how we got started as a company. Yeah, that's an actually incredible story, and I'm a massive advocate of... Um jobs and his his autobiography is actually just sitting in a cupboard just behind me actually and um yeah that's that's incredible and so from the birth of that company how did the different versions i understand that there there's there's been i think close to 20 30 i think even more versions for each each application and then we currently have adobe creative cloud or adobe cc now before we get into those things, what are the actual Adobe company focuses, uh, products and services primarily? Just from just so that it's very clear to the listeners of what exactly Adobe does. Well, 
A baby has three different sections to it, mm-hmm. and it's so well known as the the um, creative cloud being one of the sections. Mm-hmm. That's what we're most well known for. We're also pretty well known for our document cloud, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much how we got started with the, the postscript and the PDF side of things. Mm-hmm. But in the last seven or eight years, we've been creating this cloud called the Experience Cloud as well. Mm-hmm. And that's more for marketers, uh, data analytics people, uh, big business that want to track all of their inputs from their various websites and so on. And we have a range of applications that allow them to do that. Yep. Uh, for example, one of our biggest customers in Australia is Qantas. Mm-hmm. And virtually every interaction that someone has with a Qantas website or a Qantas app mm-hmm. is all tracked and is all managed and the back end of all of that is done through our experience cloud. Wow. So that's a part of Adobe that a lot of people aren't aware of, uh, but it's probably one of our biggest or most growing areas. And I wouldn't mind betting that most people in the Sydney office mm-hmm. actually work on the experience cloud mm-hmm. rather than the creative cloud. Uh, that's different in different offices. And we have 50 offices around the world. Wow. And we now have uh, over 20,000 employees. Impressive. Impressive indeed. And that's that clears things up a lot. And even in my point of view, I actually wasn't aware of the Experience Cloud. I had heard about it very, very briefly. But um, that's that's really cool. And I'm assuming that's where a lot of the um, technology changes that's coming towards Industry 4.0 will play a big role in the experience cloud. Is that right? Yeah, I'm not too familiar with it. I I work obviously in the creative cloud Mm -hmm. realm, Mm -hmm. Uh, but from what I understand, the experience cloud is a a collection of integrated applications for marketing, analytics, advertising, Mm -hmm. and commerce. And they're designed to help businesses provide a, a positive customer experience. It's all about making sure the customers are happy. Yep. And there are products like, there's one called Adobe Analytics, one mm-hmm. called Adobe Experience Manager, mm-hmm. one called Adobe Audience Manager, yep. one called Adobe Campaign for advertising, and one called Adobe Target that I assume helps you target particular audiences. So that's the Experience Cloud, and that's probably as much as I know about that side <laughs> of Adobe. Now that uh, that actually gives a very high level in, um, image for I think the listeners to understand and they can go and do their own research as well if interested. But a lot of the listeners that I have are in the education sector, secondary, tertiary, so a lot of students and designers and obviously Creative Cloud is what they have a have a have their hands on and obviously I'm, I'm a massive user of Adobe CC as well I can see literally every single icon on my desktop right now um, let's if we can discuss what exactly Adobe Creative Cloud is before we go into the applications how would you describe Creative Cloud uh, it's a, a collection of applications that help people be creative help mm-hmm. people be digitally creative it's um, it's categorized into various sections. So we've got applications for photographers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got applications for designers. Uh, we've got applications for videographers, for animators, mm-hmm. for people involved in the motion picture industry. Yeah. We've got um, applications for illustrators. Mm-hmm. And we're now branching into applications for um, uh, UX designers. Yeah. Uh, and 
we're, we're delving quite deeply now into the world of 3D and augmented reality as well. Brilliant. And then we've got a whole section of applications that are designed for people who are involved in social media uh, and education. Yeah, that's perfect. That's actually, it covers almost every single realm that even I had focused on in this podcast in the first 10 episodes. Every single one of those disciplines fits into your products and Adobe kept coming up over and over again almost every single um, interview that I did with the different designers and they were ranging from architects to UI UX to graphic designers to landscape to interior the list goes on so actually before we get into the details what do you have a favorite program yourself <laughs> oh I've, I've got to say that Premiere Pro is, is my favorite it just does everything that I want. Like I, I do a lot of videos for the work that I do. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding that video is probably one of the most efficient and effective ways of communicating these days. Definitely. So I, I encourage people to, to develop video skills, even if they haven't got um, a passion for it or even a, uh, an aptitude for it. Mm -hmm. Because video is now uh, considered a literacy. And uh, one of the things I do mention in my thought leadership is that to, um, video, to make a quality video, is it's almost as important to be able to do that as it is to be able to read and write these days. Yep. And that's all pretty much because of, of YouTube and the way that they've changed the way we communicate and changed the way that we share messaging uh, these days. And so to get involved in that is so important. And to encourage young people mm -hmm. to develop skills in video production, I think, is absolutely vital. Definitely, and I agree with that. Um, every every statement of that, even myself, have been diving into understanding how video works and editing skills and making sure that the videos flow well. Understanding from the viewer's point of view, that's actually one of the I think, alongside computer literacy, this is one of the key skill sets for that next 10, 20, even actually the current future right now but that 10, 20, 30 years in, in, in advance, the students that are going into it, those are, those are gonna be vital skill sets, definitely. Yeah, and what we've been doing is realizing that Premiere Pro isn't for everybody. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's for me, I love it because I've been using it for years and I keep still learning new things about it. And it's one of those applications that you probably never master. It's yep. one that you just keep learning all the time. But for 98% of educators, they're not going to touch Premiere Pro because it is too daunting. It is intimidating when you first open it up. Mm -hmm. So that's why we created Premiere Rush mm -hmm. and we launched it last October. So it's now 12 months old. Mm -hmm. And Premiere Rush is a cut-down version of Premiere Pro that anyone can use. And you can, you can use it on your phone, on your iPad, on your Android tablet or on your laptop or your desktop. And it, it virtually is the power of Premiere Pro, mm -hmm. but within that small device or within that much easier interface. And if you want to get down to a very basic level of video production, we launched Spark Video a few years ago now, and that is at the basic, basic level. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's, there's no reason why anyone can't produce a reasonably good quality video mm -hmm. with Spark Video without having any video production skills whatsoever. That's brilliant. And I think that's very enticing to a lot of the listeners and I'm sure they will definitely be jumping online and checking out those products. Even I was thinking that Premiere, Premiere Rush, I feel like is more suitable for myself because using Premiere Pro, my, um, my own personal experience was exactly what you mentioned. It was a bit daunting and I had to constantly rely on a, my professional videographer to make sure that I can get that quality output. 
but um, you've found the niche, you've designed and put out another um, application and that's perfect, definitely. We'll be recommending that for teachers. Now, if we take a look at, actually before we go on, I think I should share this story where going through my architectural background, we use Photoshop for every single thing that we did in design. What that meant was we would Photoshop rendering images to make presentation panels, to make logos and icons and everything was done in Photoshop. And this was actually because of the lack of understanding of what the exact program applications were intended for. We had two, three gigabyte files for an A3 or you know sometimes an A2 or A1 presentation panel just because we weren't aware of InDesign and we weren't using Illustrator for vector graphics and ended up doing ridiculously high resolution files in Photoshop just because that, that was the limitations in the skill set. And this was going through the university because there wasn't actually any targeted education and knowledge transfer at that time. So this is something that I constantly put in front of our training workshops to make sure that you're using the products for their intended purpose because it actually enhances the value, enhances the output and goes on from there. So if we may take a little bit of time to break down every, uh, almost every single application, what let's uh, starting with Photoshop because that's a bit of my, one of my favorites. How, what was Photoshop intended for, and what is the creators' inside behind it? Well, I'm so so glad you actually told me that story, and I'm so glad it was Photoshop that <laughs> we're, we're learning because so many times uh, I get educators come to me and say, "Oh, I don't need to know this. I know PowerPoint." Oh no! <laughs> oh really? <laughs> And it's a classic example. PowerPoint's great. I love PowerPoint, but it is PowerPoint. It's yeah. designed for a particular purpose, mm -hmm. and it's really good mm. at what it uh, what it's designed for. It's not really good for a lot of other things that it is used for. That's right. So that's a classic example. So Photoshop, uh, it's designed for image manipulation, mm -hmm. and it was created nearly thirty years ago now. Uh, well, in a sense, we we we've had. Um, we celebrated 25 years, around about three years ago. Yeah, so we're getting close to 30 years. Now, the thing about Photoshop is that we haven't taken away the tools that were in there nearly 30 years ago mm. because there are graphic designers around the world whose lives depend on those tools. Yep. And if we took them away or relocated them dramatically, we would be in big trouble. <laughs> so, And so would they. So... <laughs> It, it's become one of those tools that um, it's just grown and grown and there's so many new features now that um, uh, are just making it a behemoth of, of, um, of functionality, but all related around image manipulation. Yeah. So from Photoshop, we decided um, let's specialise in a few things. So photographers were using Photoshop a lot, mm -hmm. but then there were a lot of things that they wanted Photoshop to do that it wasn't doing so we had to make a decision do we add those features that they want or then do we build something else mm -hmm. and so we decided to actually create lightroom that's right as a in a sense a form of photoshop for photographers mm -hmm. and then add all those extra features to like categorizing and cataloging images and things like that that photoshop doesn't necessarily do mm -hmm. and so that's an example of how photoshop 
has grown, but has also um, become the, the mothership in a sense, or, or birthed other applications. Another classic example is Adobe Dimension, mm -hmm. uh, which came out a few years ago now. And that's like the 3D side of Photoshop, which mm -hmm. a number of people don't realize there is a whole 3D side to Photoshop. You can actually extrude your 2D image, yep. make it into 3D. You can even save it as an STL file, plug in a 3D printer and print out what yep. was initially a 2D object that you created in Photoshop. So it has that complex, uh, th th those aspects to it. Mm -hmm. uh, but to expand the 3D world even further, rather than keep building it into Photoshop, we created uh, Dimension. Mm -hmm. And uh, from Dimension now, we're getting into other things like uh, Project Aero is, is amazing. It's not yet... Uh, fully functioned, it's still in beta form, but that's going to be our augmented reality side of things. And of course, with augmented reality, you are dealing with the world of 3D yep. in a virtual space. And so this has all come out of, in a sense, being able to do extrude 2D things into Photoshop and now being able to present them in an augmented way. Mm -hmm. uh, it gives you an idea of the workflow and how applications are being constantly developed. Yeah. So. Getting back to your original question about Photoshop, it's all about image manipulation. Mm -hmm. Think about it as a way of compressing large image files into small image files for online use, but keep making sure they look almost as good as the large file. As you know, when you take a photo from an iPhone these days, you end up with a, a massive image, five up to 10 megabytes in size in some cases. Yeah. You can't communicate that image online. The whole system will crash if you have those massive files but you still want the image to look good so functionality like save for web has been around for a long time on photoshop in fact we call that a legacy tool yep. and uh, it won't go away because it's such a fundamental part of online communication to be able to compress an image and to be able to batch compress because i mean let's face it you take a hundred pictures you really haven't got time to compress every individual image so when I have a, a gallery of images I want to communicate through my blog, for instance, mm -hmm. which is timkitchen.net, just so I throw that in there if you're <laughs> interested, uh, then I will do the batch compression process. And yep. within a few seconds, I've batch compressed all of those images and then I can upload them onto my blog in a way. That's just what, a couple of examples of what Photoshop can do. That's brilliant, mate, and I love Photoshop. And that's, um, I think, the Adobe Batch tool is one of the ones that I use a lot in terms when we're mass producing uh, photos as well. And I think one of the tools, while you were mentioning the fact that you know the redesign of the different functionalities being kept from 30 years ago, I think one of the a story came to my mind: the removing the red eye on photos. That. Um, it's something that everyone goes through and you know you take that nighttime shot and you look like a devil because you've got red eyes <laughs> so you want to be able to remove that and i think it was in cc uh, cs2 or 3 maybe that they just off you guys offered the red eye tool and it just became one click and red eye is gone and it's just so powerful and i love the way every iteration just keeps adding value more and more and so if we, I feel like Illustrator is almost the close, you know, cousin of Photoshop. In your definition, what is Illustrator? What's the creative creators in, inside of Illustrator? Well, Illustrator is all about manipulating vector diagrams. And for those who are not sure what a vector diagram is, is 
when you draw something as a vector, you're actually creating a mathematical algorithm that will change as you scale up and down that drawing. Therefore, you don't lose any quality. So you could do a quick little sketch of a face, mm -hmm. and then you could scale it as big as a building, mm -hmm. and it will still look as good as the little sketch that you made because those algorithms change as you do the scaling process. And that's the beauty of a vector. It also creates a reasonably good file size image as well. So Illustrator is the, the go-to tool for graphic designers, for, for people who are creating logos, people who um, are creating images that they know might end up being scaled in a massive degree to a huge banner on a building or, or whatever. Um, it's also a go-to tool for animators who are creating little animations, uh, 2D animations that they know might be used in television or in um, in film, mm -hmm. so that they can they can scale again, scale these little characters, make them bigger and smaller. Uh, it's a wonderful tool. It's not a tool that I use on a daily basis, but I use it when I need to. Mm -hmm. uh, there's probably a lot more on Illustrator that um, could be explained because I'm not a regular user of it. Mm -hmm. But that's an example of how you don't have to be an expert in every one of our tools uh, to be uh, an Adobe fan or to be an Adobe user. Yeah. Um, so Illustrator is uh, a great example of a, a tool that's got a good um, set of uh, applications for a particular purpose. That's right. And I think the fact that once you ma master or you, you become a relatively good expert and familiar with one of the applications, it's actually really easy to branch from one to the next and to the next and to the next because the user interfaces are very similar. There's the layers and they're usually the 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 way the program is set up is actually quite similar and there are transferable skills i feel like that goes from next to the next and you pick up the next application much quicker than you did the first one so that's been my personal experience and i see that happening with my students and teachers as well and um that's great i i actually use illustrator quite uh, quite a lot myself when we do branding work for other businesses like you mentioned the logos um it's it's a really powerful tool given the fact that uh, it's it's the, the ability to vectorize graphics. Well, one of my next favorites is InDesign. In your definition, what is InDesign? InDesign is a desktop publishing tool. In fact, it is the desktop publishing tool. Uh, you'll find that most books, magazines, newspapers, mm -hmm. posters, flyers around the world are laid out with Adobe InDesign for professional print use. But these days, it's also used as a way of making EPUBs mm -hmm. and uh, ways of just getting content for an, an iPhone or an iPad, uh, making um, PDF documents, interactive PDF documents. Yep. It's a wonderful tool for that, those sorts of purposes. Definitely. And I've used InDesign almost on a daily basis because of, for marketing purposes, laying out graphics, exactly what you just mentioned. So it's, it's one of the most powerful ones. And I feel like my usual favorite go-to's are Photoshop, Illustrator and InDesign and between those three applications you can do some really amazing work and alright so let's keep things going because there are a lot of applications in Creative Cloud what about Adobe After Effects because I'm aware that um, having seen some After Effects experts create some really cool things and, I've, and I remember seeing this YouTube channel where this father was a bit of a an After Effects expert and he transformed his 
kids videos home videos into these action movies where the kid is like wonder woman and they're in this battle scene in they might be in star wars fighting with lightsabers and it's it's really incredible so what's your definition of after effects what's the creators inside of that after effects is a compositing tool and i saw those same videos as well Um, yeah. That particular father works in the film industry, yep. so he uses After Effects on a day-to-day basis for the film industry. So compositing is about doing special effects for film and television. Uh, if you see any explosion that you kind of notice it's not a real explosion because mm-hmm. they didn't have the budget for the real explosion, yep. it's probably done in After Effects. Yep. If you look at uh, the CSI shows, And look at the way that their the muzzle flares when they when they shoot their guns. Mm-hmm. It it just doesn't quite look real sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's because it's a composite. It's actually a little muzzle flare from After Effects that's been tracking to the end of that fake camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, that fake gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's what After Effects does. It, it creates a whole lot of effects. At a very basic level, you can do some pretty cool things like. Um, Uh, make a wand do like a Harry Potter type experience uh, where a beam is coming out of your wand and you're tracking the end of that wand for your video to some incredibly complicated things like literally an explosion. You think about all the elements that are required to make an explosion look real, that's incredibly complicated composition work. Definitely. And that's what After Effects does. Wow, it's so powerful. Every one of these tools, the, the... When you understand what what its capabilities are and the original design intent, it's it's incredibly powerful. Let's keep things going. What about Dreamweaver? Yeah, Dreamweaver is a a, a web design and a web development tool. Mm-hmm. It's designed for people who are creating websites with HTML and JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it also manipulates JavaScript, it allows you to create things like um, apps as well for your Android or for your iOS phone. So it's not just a website development tool, that's traditionally what it's for. The great thing about InDesign is you can split the screen into two halves. One half would be purely the coding side mm-hmm. and the other half would be more of a drag and drop, what you see is what you get type experience and you can watch the code being developed as you manipulate the drag and drop scenario. Yeah, great tool. It has been considered the industry standard in the web uh, development world for many, many years. Definitely, and my web developers actually use Dreamweaver and I've seen them use it on their screens, but it just goes over my head because coding is not one of my strong suits, but um, they they seem to love it and, and um, do some incredible work with it. What about Spark. I know this is one of your favorites as well, and then uh, you actually delivered these in your workshops to teachers as well. Um, what about Adobe Spark? Yeah, we, we set up the Spark tools with educators in mind. There are three Spark tools. There's Spark Post, which allows you to create posters or memes or little social graphics. There's Spark Page, which allows you to create a web page or a single page that you just flow through. Uh, where you can embed videos, you can embed images, you can have galleries of images, you can have what's called a glide show where you glide image on top of image or a video on top of an image or text annotated over the top of an image. Mm-hmm. Add as much text as you want to and we'll publish that website for you so that um, the whole world can see it or you can have it just so the person next to you can see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's Spark Video and that allows you to create a very simple video with voiceovers, images, videos, 
transitions between each section and music happens automatically as, as you're building it. It's a very simple tool. The most effective way to work with the Spark tools is through your iPad or your iPhone. Mm-hmm. I tend to find the iPads better because you've got more real estate to work with. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have an iOS device, then you can actually access all the Spark tools for free through spark.adobe.com mm-hmm. on any browser, but I don't recommend Internet Explorer. <laughs> Brilliant. There you go, guys. Jump on uh, jump on any of your other browsers and check out Spark. What about Adobe XD? I, um, I understand that this is one of the most powerful tools that's... Um, that's coming around and XT has been one of the most popular applications in the, probably the last year getting inquiries from teachers on looking for training and I know students are diving into this as well. What is Adobe XD and its focus? The Adobe XD team make a claim. They say that in 10 years time, people will be talking about XD as they currently talk about Photoshop. Wow. That's what they think, yeah. It's an amazing tool. It's a design thinking tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the motto, I think the motto they have on the um, in the product team room is design at the speed of thought. Wow. And it's all about getting an app designed or a website designed, uh, then getting it prototyped as well so that once you've actually done your design and you've wireframed all your buttons and everything, you can prototype it so you get a fully functioned app even on your phone Mm -hmm. once you've connected your phone and get it working on your phone and you can see that every design element actually does work and is in exactly the right position that you want it to be in before you then give it to a developer. So it's not a development tool, it's a design tool. Mm -hmm. It helps you with the design thinking process. And it also allows you to collaborate with other users and uh, to share with your customers, for instance, who you might be designing for. Yep. And yeah, it's an amazing tool. It's just every month or so there's new features and it's becoming really powerful. Definitely. And this is one of the ones that I'm currently undergoing training and one of my trainers is doing the Adobe certification that um, is involved with Adobe XD as well. It's I feel like your Adobe XD team is ambitious with making it the new Photoshop in the next 10 years, but I definitely can see the scope for it given given how Industry 4.0 and the requirements of um, where the skill sets are going to be focused on and what the computer li- computer literacy uh, requirements for a given given any any given job really. So I feel like they're on on the money with that, but um, time will tell. That, I think, covers all, uh, mainly the uh, primary applications in Adobe Creative Cloud. Are there any other ones that you'd like to mention so that the listeners can understand what Creative Cloud is all about? Well, of course, you can't not mention Adobe Animate, which is used to be called Flash Professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still very similar to Flash. It's a great way of doing 2D animations. Mm-hmm. Um, Adobe Audition is a great music editing tool, multi-track recording tool for musicians. And uh, we've mentioned Adobe Dimension for 3D. We've mm-hmm. mentioned Spark. Uh, Project Aero we've touched on. We'll find out what that's going to be soon. We've got Adobe Max coming up in October, in November this year. Mm-hmm. And they'll have some new announcements. We haven't even touched on the, um, the mobile applications that are all free. Uh, mm-hmm. They're worth looking into. If you just go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store and do a search for Adobe, you'll see a whole range 
one of my favorites is Adobe Capture. Mm -hmm. It does, it's like five separate apps in one. Um, you can look that up in your own time. It's just awesome. And Adobe we even really mentioned Adobe Acrobat. And that in itself, Acrobat Document Cloud, is a full-on multimedia tool all on its own. People just think of it as a way of reading PDFs. Yeah. Well, that's Acrobat Reader. But Acrobat DC allows you to manipulate the PDFs, add videos to your PDFs, separate pages from your PDFs. It's a very underutilized tool. And the most recent addition to the Acrobat family was a new mobile, well, it's not new now, but a, a mobile app called Adobe Scan that is literally a scanner or a, yeah, a scanner in your pocket. And it even does OCR scanning, optical character recognition scanning, where you can scan a, a bit of text and then actually turn that into literally text wow. that you can manipulate. It's a very powerful tool. And I'm sure there's more that I haven't mentioned. <laughs> There you go. And I, I know personally, I use Adobe Photoshop Express on my phone to touch up photos on the go. It's, um, it's better than obviously the inbuilt applications and anyone, any other application that I've come across uh, on, on my mobile. I've, I haven't used any other applications other than Adobe Draw on an iPad, just because of the fact that you can use an Apple Pencil and get vector drawings, just like you're drawing on a piece of paper with a pencil. And I've found that transition quite quite powerful. Being able to sketch on a on on, on your iPad on the go, whether you're in the uh, in an airport or in between meetings or, or a cafe, it doesn't really matter. And then being able to bring that sketch onto Illustrator on your PC, that's been really powerful personally myself. And um, I think it's so hard to keep up with the number of developments that you guys go through with the different applications for the different user interfaces and platforms it's it's really incredible what does yeah, we just launched adobe fresco as well which is adobe draw and adobe sketch kind of all in one application it allows you to draw in both um, uh, vectors mm -hmm. and raster drawings all at the same time uh, depending on which uh, one you want to work with so that's a brand new app that just came out wow there you go i didn't even hear about adobe fresco <laughs> is that yeah. um is that being released this year or it's already released now. Yeah, so it's it's uh, now out there on the iPad. Yeah, and on the I think it's on the Android device as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, guys, if you're listening, check those things out and just play with these applications because that's how you can easily begin to master the skill sets, and you can't go wrong. Now, I want to talk a little bit about what the future of Adobe holds. Now, obviously, we you kind of already hinted at some of the programs that you're going to be releasing and what the Adobe XD is going to, the team at uh, Adobe XD team is thinking about for the next 10 years. How do the technology changes such as VR, AI, and obviously artificial intelligence and looking at ne the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years of Adobe, what's in store? Are there any secrets you can share with us? <laughs> well, I don't have to give too many secrets away because we've already... Uh, announced our intentions with AI, AR, and VR, and UX, and all those amazing acronyms that are coming up in the, the world of the future. But um, our AI engine is called Adobe Sensei, mm -hmm. and Adobe Sensei is now involved in pretty much most of our applications in some regard. For instance, in Photoshop, if you want to use the content-aware fill tool, it's now using artificial intelligence to help you with that feature so that you can get rid of any object on your image and just do a couple of clicks and it's as if that object was never there in the first place. Just yeah. Things like that require some form of artificial intelligence. 
um, Premier Rush, I was teaching that yesterday at Monash University and just showing people how if you add a soundtrack to your video and then if there's a voiceover um, in the video already, the soundtrack will automatically duck. It'll automatically reduce the volume of the soundtrack so that it allows the voiceover to be clear. And then as soon as that voiceover is finished, it automatically brings it back up again. That's artificial intelligence in action to help you be creative. Mm -hmm. But you're not bogged down in the tool and you're more focused on the actual story and the actual creativity side. So that's we're getting more and more into, into that and you'll find a lot of Adobe Sensei mm -hmm. or artificial intelligence will be featuring more and more in our applications. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's really exciting stuff. And being a massive Adobe fan myself, I think it's. it's it, I can't wait until these products come out, and it um, just keeps evolving how designers and and creative individuals do what they do best. And you're obviously making it easy for us, so that's, that's amazing. Yeah, it'd be worth uh, when you do, do um, watch Adobe Max this year if you go into the live. Uh, broadcast of it um, is coming out of Los Angeles on the first week of November. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a section in every year at Adobe Max called Sneaks, and that's where you get a sneak preview into new technologies that we may or may not actually develop. Mm -hmm. uh, from those new technologies, we have developed a lot of them. They're now features within our applications. A lot of them won't be, mm -hmm. but this is where we give our developers time just to go and create stuff and build stuff. And from that, who knows, it might be the next future incredibly big thing. But the, the difference about Adobe compared to, say, other companies is that we are quite open and public about these sneaks. We mm. don't hide them. Yep. We let the whole world know what we're kind of thinking of, whether it's going to be there in the future or not. That's, that's almost irrelevant to us. We just want to, we want to get people's opinions. We want to get thoughts. And that's how we develop our applications. And that's why we've been so successful is because we really value the opinion of our users. Definitely. And this is embedded. I can see the design thinking approach being embedded into it. And this is why you understand the designer's requirements better than sometimes the designers themselves. So it's, it's, it's incredibly powerful. And given the fact that I've got a lot of students and teachers listening on board, what, uh, what would be your advice to students and educators to embed and have these applications as a part of their skills portfolio moving forward? Look, an essential part of, of education is preparing students for the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of my thought leadership when I do keynote presentations is to look at some of the research that's come out of the World Economic Forum, uh, where they rate the, the most important skills to thrive in the future. And always in the top five are collaboration skills, problem solving skills, and creativity. In fact, in the most recent study that they've joined up with uh, Microsoft and LinkedIn, who now is Microsoft, uh, the most common term in, that's searched in LinkedIn for, by employers looking for potential employees is the word creative. Mm -hmm. Now think about that. That's an incredibly powerful message to realize how important creativity is. So as educators, we need to be encouraging students to be creative at all times and not just leave it up to the arts, the IT and the multimedia type subjects, but to be creative in every subject area and my advice to teachers is that every time you set an assignment, 
create an, an give the students an opportunity to be creative yeah maybe allow them to create a video instead of doing an essay mm-hmm. or if they have to do an essay get them to do the essay but then turn it into a desktop publishing uh, document that has an embedded video or something in it to add to the creative side of it. Mm-hmm. Get them to work with Spark, even if they haven't used or even if the teacher doesn't know about Spark. One of the great things about it is it's so intuitive. All you need to do is say, look, this is Spark. I don't know much about it. It's spark.adobe.com. Use that maybe instead of PowerPoint this time for your presentation mm-hmm. and let's see what happens. And invariably, what happens is the students are incredibly more engaged than using a product that they've used since they were five years old. Because it's a new product. It's something that uh, is exciting for them to work with. You find the creativity skills develop and you find the engagement levels develop too. So using these tools in education is, is, is really powerful. And it's so great that the education systems around the world are acknowledging that and have joined enterprise agreements with us. So, for example, every secondary school in Victoria has the full creative cloud as of next year. Mm-hmm. They've, already, they've had partial aspects to it right up until now. Yep. But next year, they'll get the full creative cloud. As the same in every school in New South Wales that's owned by the government and most independent sectors, Catholic sectors, and most universities. In fact, just two weeks ago, we announced our very first creative campus university and that's Swinburne. Swinburne now will give the creative cloud to every one of their students just because they're a Swinburne student and they see the value of encouraging students in every faculty area to be creative and to develop their collaboration problem solving and creativity skills. Wow, I love that. And I actually didn't know about Swinburne being able to do that. That's incredibly powerful for the students to be able to have that um, have those applications being a Swinburne student and wow, I'm, I'm speechless. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. We've got 23 universities in North America that are created campuses. Mm-hmm. So it is starting to spread and Swinburne was the first one in Australia. And let's hope it's not the last. Let's hope there's many more to come. Oh, definitely. I think I think every university should become, become part of that and look at creativity as a part of their student skill set when um, looking at the future as well and preparing them for the jobs of tomorrow. So that's that's incredible. And I think one of the last questions that I wanted to ask you <clears throat> was what is the... I think actually you've touched, touched on this, um, how, the, how, how creativity is impacting education and where Adobe fits right into that. So I may actually edit that part out. <laughs> we don't need to ask that question actually. Um, Tim, it's been incredible. Do you have any last words for the listeners? Any advice on what they can do, where they can check out more information? You've already mentioned your blog and um, Spark as well and a number of other elements. Are there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before we depart? Yeah, sure. The Adobe Education Exchange is where we want to point all teachers to. It's edX.adobe.com. That's the Adobe Education Exchange. We now have over 700,000 educators who have joined this portal. It's a way of sharing ideas and resources. It's a way of joining our collaborative courses, our um, live events, our self-paced courses. Uh, It's just a nice way of sharing 
uh, the community of educators from around the world. We're just about to hit our 100,000th teacher from the Asia-Pacific region wow. onto this portal. So we'd love to get more educators involved. From that portal, from that program, we have these key educators who show an extra element of passion towards digital creativity, and they've become Adobe Campus Leaders. And if you look up the Adobe Campus Leader program, uh, that's you'll notice you need to have a certain number of points on the Education Exchange, and then you can join that program. And we get together online regularly, but we have a summit once a year. We, we just had it last week in Sydney, mm-hmm. and it was awesome. We had about 35 Adobe Campus Leaders and Adobe Education Leaders, which is the highest level of our leadership program, together for uh, two and a half days. And we accommodated them all at the Soft Hotel in Darling Harbour, like mm-hmm. a five-star hotel. It was pretty awesome. Uh, those who couldn't make it, they a lot of us, a lot of them were joining live. So we had between thirty and fifty educators joining us live for the morning sessions, and. After 24 hours from the first recording going up after the first day, we had a thousand hits on those recordings from the summit last week. So it's an amazing community and it's primary teachers, secondary teachers and higher education teachers who are not necessarily experts in Adobe, but they're passionate about digital creativity and want to learn more. So I encourage people to join that. And of course, for anyone who's not a teacher out there, the Adobe Health Center helpx.adobe.com that's a one-stop shop for quality beginners guides to full-on advanced experience guides uh, for all of our products it's it's a one-stop shop for assistance and help much better than going to youtube i mean youtube's great (laughs) but you'll find the quality isn't necessarily brilliant you'll find you look up an adobe help on youtube you'll get a 15 year old american boy who sniffs a lot (laughs) i don't know what it is about sniffing but they do, and they take about half an hour to explain something they could have explained in 30 seconds. But the Adobe Help Center, helpx.adobe.com, is a great place to go to. There you go, guys. Check those links out. They're actually going to be embedded into the show notes uh, just below here. So all you have to do is scroll, or if you're on an Apple um, device or Spotify, all you need to do is just jump on to the website, roshansandanaika.com slash podcast and click on Tim's face and you will be able to find all these links embedded in there. So that's it for today, folks. Before we leave, check out all the links in the show notes like I mentioned. Lastly, if you'd like to leave, share your love and leave your words for any sort of review on Apple Podcast and share the love, I would be much appreciative and grateful for you forever. And Tim, thank you so much for coming on board. You have shared an incredible amount of knowledge and I know all my listeners are going to be gaining a lot of value from what you have shared today and constantly using Adobe products in future. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rashad. I appreciate the opportunity. 